and welcome to the Post Party Project. My name is Amy Heinrich and I am your host. Join me as we chat all things postpartum, celebrating the highs and supporting you through the lows. Everything pregnancy and birth is just such an exciting time, but often chats about postpartum experiences get missed or overlooked because everything's about the baby, which we are also totally here for. But I'm here to hear you and hold you, figuratively speaking, and to listen to your experience. Think of this podcast as your safe space to share, vent, cry, laugh, and know that you're not alone. Now, let's get into it. In today's episode, I chat with my friend Gabby about her postpartum experience. Gabby speaks about her pregnancy and birth with her little girl Ishani. Gabby had a relatively straightforward pregnancy and she was a bit of a pregnancy unicorn. She was one of those women who just walks around glowing, totally rocks being pregnant. So yeah, very envious of Gabby. She had a vaginal birth with no pain relief too and I absolutely love hearing Gabby's birth story. I do need to put a trigger warning on today's episode as we mentioned pregnancy loss and miscarriage. Gabby experienced an ectopic pregnancy at the beginning of this year and she goes into depth about what that was like and what symptoms to look out for because it can be very dangerous, especially if you're getting dismissed by any particular healthcare professionals. Um, Gabby kind of talks about what she went through and what to look out for. She then fell pregnant in her very next cycle but unfortunately it ended in miscarriage. Gabby walks us through what she experienced with that and how she felt throughout. I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you feel that it resonates with anyone, um, please share it on. And as always, if you have any thoughts, feelings, if you'd like to come on the show and chat about your postpartum experience, I would love to hear from you. You can contact me at thepostpartyproject at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Instagram. I'm at thepostpartyproject. Now let's get into today's chat. Awesome. Thank you for joining me today, Gabby. Now, Gabby is one of my longtime friends. I won't even try and think about how many years we've known each other now. <laughs> Do too, you know? Too many. Too <laughs> yeah. many years. I think when you go over 10, you just stop counting. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> so thanks for joining me today, Gabs. I can't wait for you to share your story with everyone. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Very awesome. excited. Got a so, lot to share. Yay. So yeah, let us know a little bit about yourself and who's in your family. Uh, yeah, so um, my name's Gabby. I'm 34. Gosh, I can't even remember. Um, I live in Perth with my husband, uh, Shumon, or everyone calls him Shui. And we have um, our daughter, Ishani, who's two years and eight months, so almost three. And we've got our fur baby, Ted. Yay. He's a golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So um, what do you do day to day? So right now I... I kind of part-time parent, part-time nurse, uh, registered nurse working in schools now. I used to uh, used to be in emergency, but yeah, since having Ishani, um, yeah, that's never really been something that I wanted to go back to. Um, so yeah, now I am happily working in a school mm-hmm. as a school nurse, and it's wonderful. I actually, going to work being very happy. Yeah, that's so good. That's what you want. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's been it's been amazing actually. Yeah, going going back into work and getting yeah, getting some adult conversation in mm-hmm. my 
my week. <laughs> um, how did you go getting pregnant with Ishani? Did you guys plan her? Or was she a surprise? Yeah, so she was definitely planned. Um, it, she did take a while to, it did take us a while to conceive um, Ishani. She, uh, yeah, about a year, about a year altogether. Um, I did have the marina taken out just after my 30th birthday. Um, and we did have a very, after six months, we had uh, like a chemical pregnancy, which I think I did a pregnancy test maybe two days before my period was due um, and unfortunately my I got my period maybe a day late so you know kind of you get the positive pregnancy test but you know it's like a failed implantation so yeah unfortunately that was not a viable pregnancy but then six months later we conceived Ishan. Mm, yeah <laughs> how did you go through pregnancy did you have any complications? Um, no real complications uh, I actually really loved being pregnant. I'm not one of those horrible people that, yeah, just <laughs> felt glowy and um, amazing like, the yeah. pregnancy. You were like the yeah. pregnancy unicorn that everyone wants to be. Uh, yeah. Look, I did have um, just for two weeks, I would say, like mild nausea from about six to eight weeks, um, just like motion sickness, how I would describe it. And then after eight weeks, it kind of just went away and I was a bit concerned. You know, you're like, you know, haven't got any pregnancy symptoms anymore. So I um, ended up going to see my obstetrician just for another scan basically to make sure everything was okay because I was, got a bit a bit anxious because I didn't have the nausea anymore. But, you know, everything was all good. Um, so, yeah, really was that beautiful pregnancy unicorn <laughs> that just glowed and had a great time and loved yeah. my little pregnant tummy and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only other thing, I guess, was which people don't really talk about, probably too much information, but um, later in you know, my third trimester, uh, so obviously you can get like, varicose veins and stuff. Um, I didn't get varicose veins in my legs, but I got them yeah, downstairs, like my vulva region, which was pretty uncomfortable, but very unusual, uh, not something that I expected, um, but not too bad in the end, just, yeah. Mm. Get a bit uncomfortable, like towards the end of the day, and been standing up on your feet for a long time, and yeah, just one of those things that doesn't actually cause any issues coming into birth and stuff. It's just mm. yeah, that, that extra pressure being placed down in your pelvic region can yeah cause things like that. Oh which is wow, pretty yeah. unusual, and I yeah. had no idea about it. Yeah, I hadn't really heard of it either. Did you speak to your GP about it, or did you just Google and see that it was normal? Yeah, I kind of do a bit of Googling and um, I spoke to my obstetrician about it and, um, yeah, there was yeah, no con no concerns um, moving forward, like, with, with any of that. So it was just one of those uncomfortable, annoying things at the end of pregnancy that, you know, kind of stuck around for the, the last few weeks that I was pregnant and then immediately after birth, they were pretty much gone. Mm. So I feel like you so, had one of like um, the dream births as well. So I'm really excited to like relive <laughs> this with you. You were like my 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 birth goals. <laughs> um, so yeah, do you want to explain? Well, I guess first, did you have a birth plan before you went into it? Yeah. So I, uh, my husband and I, did a calm birth course um, in person here with a beautiful midwife named Karen. I can't remember her surname, but she was incredible. Um, it was just run over, I think, two Saturdays 
um, full days and there was yeah, just a small group, um, which, was a, which was amazing. Um, and it was really great for my husband because um, it gives them a, basically a toolbox and a purpose um, so that they know what to do and how to support you in birth. Um, and it really explains <clears throat> like the physiology of birth in a way that is easy to understand and how all the, the hormones contribute um, to, you know, birth, the, the labour and birth process. So uh, it was really, I found it, he found it really great. Um, and, yeah, I, I, you know, I loved it as well. Um, having that nursing background, I kind of had a pretty good understanding of, you know, birth and um, the processes that happen. Um, so, yeah, no, we really enjoyed that. And um, they give you some guided meditations to listen to. And um, they coach you through, like, the breathing exercises, uh, which were, yeah, uh, amazing for me in my, in my, in my labour. Mm. Did you have any preference with, um, like, wanting drugs or you weren't fast um, or, like, intervention at all? Yeah, so I really, really wanted to have, uh, like, a drug-free birth if I could. Um, you know, obviously... Um, I'm also really, you know, realistic. So if I, you know, if I needed to have, um, you know, medications or an epidural, I was totally open to that. But I really wanted to go in and try and have a drug-free birth and uh, vaginal, yeah, vaginal drug-free, drug-free birth, yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, when did you go into labour and how did that all come about? Yeah. So I was very surprised. I uh, the day before. Um, I was 36 weeks and five days. I was in full-blown nesting mode, cleaning the house from top to bottom, scrubbing the shower floor, like on my hands and knees, like scrubbing the shower floor. And um, <laughs> and then the next day I woke up and I think it was probably about 8 a.m. and I kind of rolled over in bed and I felt like a bit of moisture down there. And I was like, oh, is that just mucus or... Is something happening down there? Like I didn't have any contractions or anything at that stage. So I kind of got up and sat on the toilet, did a little wee, and then it just kept dribbling out. And I'm like, but I finished my wee, so I'm not weeing anymore. Um, and I was like, that must be my waters. So, it's, yeah, 36 weeks and six days and my waters just broke. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. No contractions or anything. Felt really well. Um, I kind of messaged uh, my husband and said, I think my waters have broken, um, but don't stress. He was, you know, pretty stressed. And he's like, do you need me to come home? Because he was already at work by that point. And I was like, no, no, like I'm totally fine. Um, we'll just see what happens during the day. And so I didn't call my obstetrician at that time. I just <laughs> kind of took my dog for a walk and... <laughs> potted around the house and enjoyed the morning. It was a beautiful day. Um, and then I think at about 11 a.m., I decided to call my obstetrician's office and said, look, I think my waters have broken. What should I do? Like, I'm not having any contractions. And uh, they said, look, please, you know, come in just so we can, you know, do a CC. CTG monitor and like check that baby's okay. Um, so I think about 11.30 I ended up going uh, to the labour and birth 
like assessment area at the hospital. Um, so we were birthing at one of the private hospitals in Perth. Um, and so I went there. They did put the CTG monitor on. Everything was fine. My waters were clear. So there was no sign of, you know, infection um, or anything like that, which was really reassuring. Um, and then at that point, my obstetrician was like, oh, you know, we'd like to keep you in and just monitor you like periodically. And I was like, I would like to go home <laughs> and try and, you know, get labour started um, myself. So <clears throat> they were like, okay, well, we can go, but you know, we really would prefer that you stayed. And I think that's, you know, a private hospital thing. And I like to have a bit more control, but I was like, Thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go home. <laughs> um, so I went home. I think Shui, uh, my husband, ended up coming home at about maybe 1 p.m., 2 p.m. He met me back at home. And at that point, I you know, was just kind of bouncing on the um, football. I managed to do some hand expressing um, of some colostrum which was amazing. I, I hadn't had the opportunity to do some like prenatal expressing because it was still pretty early. In, um, you know, I was only 36 weeks and six days. Uh, so I, hadn't, I really wanted to do antenatal expressing. Um, but, yeah, I obviously didn't have the opportunity because it was, you know, a bit of, all a bit of a surprise. Um, so I did some hand expressing and I managed to get maybe four or five one-mil syringes maybe even more of colostrum um, just to try and get labour going. Dancing on the football, um, I hired a TENS machine. Mm-hmm. So I put that on a little bit later in the afternoon when I did start getting some contractions. Um, so they were coming maybe very light, but period pain from about 5pm. I think I started getting some contractions, but like every 15 minutes, um, very light contraction. And if I was getting up moving around, they would come more frequently. Um, so Shui and I went for a couple of walks with the TENS machine on. Um, where we live is quite hilly. So, you know, we'd walk up the hills and I'd get, you know, three or four contractions while I was walking up this big hill and then I'd have a rest and then they would just kind of peter out. Um, and that just kind of yeah, kept happening so you know if I was resting the contractions would be you know 10-15 minutes apart and still really light mm-hmm. so it wasn't really progressing as such um, which is okay um, and then because my waters had broken at 8am the policy at the hospital is that after 18 hours you have to go and have antibiotics so we had to go back in at, I think it was like 2 a.m. for antibiotics. Um, so I went back into the hospital at that point um, and yeah, got my cannula and my antibiotics and, and just tried to rest overnight. But I'm a really light sleeper, so you know the contractions were still coming every 10, 15 minutes. So I didn't get any sleep really that night. Um, you know, as soon as you start to drift off, another contraction would come and then wake me up which was great. uh, (laughs) It is what it is. Um, And so then in the morning, nothing really um, progressed. Um, So at about 8am, my obstetrician came in, checked me 
I think I was I was only one or two centimetres at that point. Um, and then they put up the uh, um, induction infusion, um, the syntocin. Yeah, which mm-hmm. then you know, from there it went all pretty quickly, um, especially for a first time birthing person, <laughs> birthing woman. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, about half an hour after they started the um, syntocin drip, um, my contractions started getting pretty intense um, and more regular. And I just found myself in a comfortable position, sitting kind of at the back of the bed, just with my head on a pillow, um, sitting on a birthing ball. And for me, I really liked the stillness and like I, di- I didn't feel the urge to like, move around for my birth. I just really wanted to be still and in that position really focused on my breathing. Um, and the midwife caught me like watching the clock and she's like, don't watch the clock, don't watch the clock. And I'm like, I need to watch the seconds. Like just I was only focusing on the second hand just so I could count my my inhale, uh, inhalation, my exhalation. (laughs) And that's pretty much where I stayed for the entire time. You know, I'd get up to go and have a wee and then come back and um, then I just resume my position on the birth ball with my head in the pillow, just breathing. And my husband's probably just sitting around, not really knowing what to do. Um, <laughs> and then after, I think it got to, so from 8 a.m. until 12 p.m., I pretty much sat in that position and didn't do a lot. And about 12 p.m., um, like my in my um, hip flexors started getting really sore and uncomfortable, like cramping almost. And I was like, oh, I need to stretch my legs. I'm feeling, you know, really cramped up now. Um, So the midwife and uh, my husband helped me up onto the bed um, and just to lie on my side a little bit. And uh, I think at that point, so I was there for about half an hour, I think, and my obstetrician came back in to check me again and I was six centimetres at 12.30. But as soon as she left, it really just became super intense. Um, So I was on my side just trying to breathe through the contractions and I was losing my breath a little bit. So I felt like my inhalation was was short, sharp, like, (gasps) and (laughs) then it, it, it turned into that, I guess, typical, like, mooing exhalation. So it was like, <gasps> mm, mm, and I was, that was really long exhalation just to get through these contractions, which were pretty much on top of each other by that point. Um, maybe I got a five or ten second rest and then there were a minute long contraction. So I was in that position. I felt like I couldn't do anything else at that point. Um, and I was just really in, in myself um and I was my, my husband was like oh do you want the epidural because I was only six centimeters I'm like, I've got another in my head I'm thinking I've got another four hours of this like, how am I gonna how am I gonna do that They're like I can't cope with this um in hindsight I was transitioning <laughs> at that point <laughs> um I think I was transitioning at that point because um they called for the anesthetist to come and do the epidural but 
in my head, I'm like, there's no way I can sit up for an epidural. Like, no way. I'm in this position. I'm not moving from this position. I just need to breathe through these contractions. Um, so I, I panicked a little bit at that point. Um, but then the I think within about 20 minutes, the anaesthetist came down. So it was almost one o'clock by that point. And my midwife was like, I think we'll just check you again. And then she checked me and I was 10 centimetres and ready to go. I was like, what? But as soon as she said that, it was like this light bulb went off and it didn't, I didn't feel that panic anymore. And then I could just roll over and yeah, start pushing. And um, I I asked my midwife actually, do you, you know, should I get into a different position? And I was kind of just on my back, but I felt pretty comfortable actually there and, they chucked the stirrets up and they called my obstetrician back from her office and she, I just remember hearing her, she always wore like a beautiful dress and heels and she always looked so put together and I remember her like clip-clop of her heels running down the corridor like <laughs> become like, yes, uh, get, ready for, get ready for the pushing phase. Um, so I started pushing at 1pm exactly and I pushed for 16 whole minutes Whoa. <laughs> um, so she came <laughs> flying out um, that being said she um, was always measuring very small um, so she wasn't a big baby at all she was very small um, she was only 2.39 kilos so teeny tiny little little bird baby <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I pushed her out and um, I felt the pushing quite good, actually, like really productive. Um, and the like the pain, I guess, of the contractions wasn't, it didn't feel like pain anymore. Um, I just remember at one point, it must have been when she was crowning, you can feel that I mean, you know, ring of fire, they kind of describe it as. And I was like, what is that? What is that? And my obstetrician looked at me and she was like, it's your baby. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, that's all right. Then. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, then they brought her out and put her on my chest, and she stayed on my chest for a few minutes. Um, but then the midwife was a bit concerned that she was looking a bit, I don't know, off colour. Um, so they did take her away just for a quick check. Um, but you know, she came out screaming and yeah looking around she was so alert um she's like what what the hell just happened (laughs) (laughs) what is this place um yeah that was really amazing um but then I did have a bit of bleeding um so they gave me the syntocin injection to get the placenta out and they did a bit of like external fundal massage, which was excruciating. It was basically kneading like my abdomen to like try and contract my uterus down. And that was way more painful than birthing her. I, I think it's because that adrenaline of needing to, you know, knowing you need to birth something has like is worn off now and someone's just like kneading my stomach. With, you know, yeah, so that was, um, that was quite painful actually. I I didn't have a you know a postpartum hemorrhage as such. Um, I had about a 400 mil blood loss, and I think anything more than 500 mils is classed as a postpartum hemorrhage. So I wasn't in that bracket. 
but um yeah they stopped stopped the bleeding pretty quick which was good um so yeah and then we headed on up to the old um postnatal ward after that shortly after that yeah yeah did she um <laughs> did she need any uh like forceps or anything for delivery or she just came straight no, out she just she just flew out <laughs> so good. yeah her, her, her little head was uh yeah, she, she only had a I don't know, she was on like the fifth percentile for her head size. So, yeah, no, I didn't have um, any tearing on her, anything either. I was really, really fortunate. Um, and, yeah, I was, I, I don't know, I really enjoyed my birth. And looking back, I was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing experience. Mm, so good. Um, how did you feel immediately post-birth? Yeah, I was, yeah, elated. Um, I think you get that rush of, uh oxytocin and everything's just like wow um it was uh, yeah I was just amazed at how how everything kind of unfolded and so happy and yeah I was just Shui and I went up to our little postnatal ward room and we were just living in our own little bubble for a whole week we stayed in hospital um not so much because of me I was really well um, but because Ishani was so small, um, she had trouble um, regulating her temperature and therefore um, had problems regulating her blood sugar. So for the first 48 hours, I think, they had to do um, heel prick tests to check her blood glucose levels. Um, and then, yeah, after... 48 hours, 24, anyway, after a couple of days, they um, didn't have to do that anymore, thank goodness, because her poor little heels were mm. like black and blue, like bruising and, yeah, um, it wasn't very nice and you know, we just had to make sure she was kept really warm and um, thankfully she didn't need to go to the special care nursery. She was kind of borderline. They mm. were thinking of taking her there, but they decided that she could stay with us, um, which was amazing. So we really just kept in our room, kept to ourselves, just enjoyed enjoyed her. Um, we weren't able to do, um, I wasn't able to latch her because she was so small. She was really weak. She just didn't have the facial muscles in order to create a latch and a suction. So I was expressing every three hours and bottle feeding her um which was tough um and then we did that for a few weeks um after we got home as well um but she you know put on weight really well um my milk supply um came in pretty quickly and um yeah she she was putting on weight like a champ Mm. yeah I remember you um yeah like you had such a system to be pumping and feeding her and yeah getting all that all built up for her like yeah it was very scheduled very Mm. scheduled um I think that was that also made me very anxious um and you know people want to come around and and see the baby and I'm like on this strict schedule and if anyone's late gives me anxiety and I know <clears throat> obviously it was I kept trying to introduce, you know, the breast and just getting her latching naturally, which after a week still wasn't happening. 
Um, so I was still expressing, you know, every three hours at that point, um, you know, day and night. And then I eventually saw um, a lactation consultant who got me to try a shield, a nipple shield. And from then she was able to latch with that, which was amazing, but she wasn't strong enough to drain the breast. So I could practice feeding with her um, and getting her to feed a little bit on the breast, but then I would still have to go and pump after a feed um, in order to, you know, drain my breasts and make sure that my supply didn't go down. Um, so we did that, continued doing that, I should say, for a few weeks. Um, and then I stopped expressing after feeds, but I think I did, in hindsight, I think I did that prematurely because my supply, not that I was aware of it at that point, certainly did start going down a little bit at a time. Um, so then after, at about three months, I found myself not being able to feed her enough. So I really struggled after that. Um, I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I stopped, <sighs> sorry. I stopped, um, I'm trying to think when I was, I think at about six weeks I was able to wean her off the shield, mm -hmm. um, which was great, and she was able to latch without that. That's one less thing you have to worry about. And then, yeah, her weight certainly, the trajectory of her weight wasn't going up like it was. Mm -hmm. um, and. You know, I look back at photos now and I was like, wow, she was actually really skinny, you know, three, four months, um, certainly not getting enough milk from me, um, which, you know, it sucks when you think about it. Um, you know, and I did speak to the um, my lactation consultant about that and She's like, oh, yeah, she's still putting on weight and, you know, they don't always put on that much weight. Like it changes from week to week. But I think in like heart, my heart of hearts, I knew she wasn't getting enough. So by five months, I'll skip forward a bit. I think we struggled through like between four and five months. I was still just breastfeeding her. But, um, you know, I was trying to increase my milk supply, which was really challenging. So I'm trying to you know, breastfeed her and then do extra expressing to try and, you know, um, get that milk supply going again, which it just didn't, um, I couldn't catch up. It had um, really, yeah, dwindled by that point. Um, so at five months, we decided to introduce bottle as well. So I was mixed feeding from then. Um, and after one month of mixed feeding, you can just, see in the photos like her cheeks just like mm -hmm. plumped up and um you know she she was certainly putting on a lot more weight um and you know you go through and process that guilt of not starting formula earlier because mm -hmm. my milk supply had dropped but I was just so I was so hoping that I was able to get it back but no I didn't unfortunately mm -hmm. um so I mixed fed her until she was one, um, but I also, you know, it was more and more formula, less and less breast, but she was still getting, a, you know, a tiny bit. You know, I would 
feed her morning and night basically with the breast and everything else was a bottle. Um, so it was better than, yeah, better than nothing, I guess. But, yeah, a bit disappointing um, because my milk supply started out so great and just fizzled mm. after a few months. Yeah, that was that was hard. You were so committed, though, to every every little step getting there, like with the nipple shields and the expressing, and I feel like you gave it such yeah. a good crack. Even to get to a year, I think, is just incredible. Um, and I think either way, like you said, the guilt, I feel like we put guilt on ourselves whichever way it happens, like how long do we breastfeed? How long do we formula? I should have done this earlier. It's just like so hard and like we all just want the best for our babies. Yeah, I know. It was hard. It was hard. Um, and, yeah, certainly you know, the around the clock expressing for weeks on end for her when she, because she was so small, was tough. Um, and then trying to, yeah, socialise and get back out and, you know, just go for walks. You're just so time restricted because, you know, you have to go back and express and yeah, it was, it was, it was tough in the early days, that's for sure. Yeah. How did you feel when you got home and you settled in? Yeah, that, it was hard, um, a lot of anxiety. Um, I felt like I went straight into like nursing mode and I felt like I just had this responsibility to keep this baby alive. So, um, you know, the emotional attachment to her, I found came way later um, because I was purely just, you know, I was so scared because she was, you know, this little tiny baby Um I just had one job and that was to keep her alive and that's all that I could think about, which was pretty stressful. Like I felt like I couldn't create that emotional attachment and bond. Um, yeah, it would have been, you know, months, like eight, nine, ten months old when I could really start to, to develop that bond with her, um, which was, yeah, which was a long time, I feel. You know, I wasn't that person that saw my baby and immediately just was in love with her um, because, my, I don't know, I must have just been in a state of, yeah, stress. And survival, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100% mm. survival. I'm learning and I, I, I didn't have the mental capacity to create that emotional attachment until later, mm. which is hard. Yeah, and I think you are such like a person, I feel like I'm similar as well where I feel like you research and you want like we know, like the more you know sometimes it's like oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I just went straight to work mode. <laughs> yeah. Straight, straight into work no- mode. I've got a job to do and that's, you know, keep my, keep my baby alive and, you know, now I, I look at her and just have so much love in my heart for her Um so that, you know, that emotional attachment certainly does come. It just took a little bit longer for me. Yeah. How, um, how was your support network when you got home? Was it okay or do you feel like you could have done with more? Yeah, tough one. I'm, I'm a pretty independent person. Um, you know, I moved out of home when I was 18 and, and I've always been really, um, really independent. And so I found asking for help like I, I just don't ask for help um basically so you know I have a couple of friends that were lovely and you know would drop meals off at my front door and 
all those kinds of things really helped. So you didn't have to think about cooking and all that kind of stuff. But um, any other help apart from that has been really challenging for me um, in letting go and allowing other people to kind of step in and even my husband really um, to step in and look after her. And um, that's something I found really challenging is, is letting go and, and letting other people help me. Um, yeah, it's just that yeah that's been that's been tough um so you know it's taken you know nearly two well two years essentially um for me to kind of get back to work and put her in daycare which was like a huge thing for me um but now I'm feeling like I'm at a place where I can I feel comfortable to leave her and know that she's going to be okay like you know, my, my attachment with her is not going to change if I go out for an afternoon with the girls, do you know what I mean? So um, it's, been, it's been long and challenging time. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at a place now where I you know, feel, feel happy and don't have those, the guilt of leaving her. And, yeah, mm. it's been tough yeah I know it's such a journey mm. hey it's like I, I know, know. It, it starts off so tough and then it like gets get you have like these peaks and then tough things come up again it's just yeah 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 so asking for help yeah it's been something that's really difficult for me so yeah you know they say it takes a tribe to raise a child but you have to be comfortable to let that tribe in and that's mm. not something that I was comfortable doing for a long time yeah yeah, and I now, feel like, yeah. now I'm like happy to give her to anyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I feel like it's just something that kind of comes, and yeah, like as they get older, and you start to feel like yeah, like you said, more confident leaving them with people, and then in turn, I guess then you're like you're you feel easier like asking for things like can you look after her here? Can you look after her here? Um, I'm the same. Like I feel like if I get pregnant again or go through it all again, I feel like I'm going to reach out a lot more this time. But then yeah. 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 Who knows? Think, yeah. Well, yeah. Second time around, you kind of know that it's not gonna, it's it's not gonna affect them greatly in the long run if you're going out for an afternoon and having some time to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you're not gonna ruin your attachment yeah. <laughs> if you're doing those things. You know, you're doing it for yourself and so that you can be a happier, better parent. Um, mm. At the end of the day, you know, you need that time. Um, and so that you know that's something that I've been struggling with as well is just getting back and finding time for myself which yeah I feel like I've only just been able to start doing that um, but it's it's great at the same time so you know I feel happy dropping her off at daycare now and mm. you know going to work or you know I'm on school holidays at the moment so you know I get to have spend the whole day doing whatever I want to do while she's at daycare and yeah it feels amazing yeah um so did anything come up for you postpartum that you weren't aware of or didn't expect yeah I guess the the thing that I didn't expect so much was that um how long it took for me to really establish that emotional connection with Ishani um I thought it would happen a lot sooner for me but in hindsight I think honestly it took you know, eight to 12 months for me to really look at her and go, oh, my God, I freaking love you. Mm. Like, you are the best, you know, (laughs) to have that just overwhelming, like, love feeling. Um, And I'm not 
a particularly emotional person anyway. But yeah, I look, I look at her now and I'm just like, you are awesome. You're the best. I just love you. Um, That, that was probably the main thing that I didn't expect. Um, You know, obviously you talk about, or you hear people talking about get, you know, developing that, just having that instantaneous love, overwhelming love feeling for, you know, their babies. But yeah, that certainly wasn't something that, that happened for me. It was, much later, almost when she could start showing me affection back, mm. then I'm like, "Oh, you do love me, okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm doing okay." So. <laughs> yeah. And now, when we go out and have drinks, we just talk about how great our girls are. <laughs> yeah, I know. You can't I shut know. us up. <laughs> I, you know, that's the, oh goodness. Um, how did you go mentally after? Like, how did the anxiety take a while to shift? Yes. It certainly did. Um, the first, like, initial three, four months in that, you know, cyclical feeding routine, um, my anxiety was pretty bad um, just because I felt like I couldn't go out and do anything. Like, there was always that time pressure of having to get back and express and, you know, doing um, what they call like power pumps in the, in the evening where you pretty much spend an hour on the pump, you know, 10 minutes on, five minutes off, 10 minutes on, five minutes off, just to try and, you know, bump up your milk supply, doing that every single night. And yeah, it was, that was, that was, yeah, a big, big time for me. Um, a, you know, a lot of anxiety, um, but that got better over time. Um, like I certainly don't feel you know that anxiety now um but yeah that was that was tough that was just mainly the initial few months um I found really challenging with with my anxiety and um yeah letting and then obviously after that trying to get people in to come and you know look after her like my mom and Chewie's mom and you know then that transition period of you know letting you know, other people babysit her obviously you go through that initial anxiety and letting go and making sure that <clears throat> they follow your routine and then realizing they're going to do what they want to do anyway hand your baby yeah. back all wired and like with no sleep <laughs> oh yeah exactly oh she's had ice cream and has yeah. and you're just like oh my gosh but now I'm just like okay catch you bye yeah, you deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you say that's been most challenging, or has anything else been really challenging for you? Yes, I think the most challenging thing has for me has been trying to get back to do things that I enjoy um, without her. And you know, I was really big in going and doing my exercise and yoga and. Um, that's something I've really struggled to get back into like consistently. So, you know, I've tried doing a month of yoga here and there and found that it just hasn't worked in with my schedule, like the times um, that the classes are and, you know, I'll go for a month and I'll be so tired that, you know, you just fall out of routine. And so it's kind of been on, off, on, off, trying to get back to doing things that I enjoy and um yeah so that's that's been really challenging for me 
Um, but I feel like I'm at a place now where I've, I feel happy and I've, I can commit to that. Um, yeah, to, to commit to more time for myself. Yeah. What's yeah. been um, most rewarding? So cliche. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so cliche is just seeing her development, watching her development, learning new things, saying new things. Um, yeah, she's just blows my mind um, every day with the things she comes out with these days <laughs> but honestly just yes watching her go through all those milestones and um yeah just watching the little personality that she's becoming and mm. yeah, it's hilarious I just love love that and yeah certainly find that the the most rewarding part mm. sure. I loved it when we were out for breakfast once and you said she was into making up names and she made up that name for her doll like Telly Bon Bon <laughs> <laughs> A bon bon. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I know. Yeah, she's a real. She's a real character. She, mm. There's never a yeah dull moment when she's around. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, right now, she's into the last kind of couple of weeks. She's gotten into jigsaw puzzles, and it just so she's doing yeah like twelve piece jigsaw puzzles. And I watch her, you know, troubleshoot and and you know navigate her way through these jigsaw puzzles but she, she's just amazing yeah it just blows my mind watching her mm. yeah <laughs> um if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice what would it be yeah try and block out the noise i feel like everyone wants to you know give you advice whether it's solicited or unsolicited um and find find what rhythm works for you and your family and you know parent the way you want to parent and use the resources that you know you gravitate towards to you know help you learn and and navigate your parenting journey um yeah it's it, it, it's hard to not to get bogged down by you know all the advice that that people want to try and give you and it's confusing time. What works for their baby, you know, might not necessarily work for you and your family. So that's probably the biggest biggest thing is, yeah, do what works for you. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's such great advice. I feel like if I get pregnant again, I'm like, I just want to don't even look at anything, just <laughs> take it as yeah, it comes. Like, delete yeah. that Wonder Weeks app, delete it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't um, need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Even now I'm like, I wonder if Ivy has any more leaps. And I looked the other day and she's finished all of her leaps. She's finished with the app. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> the app is gone. Never again. Throw it in the bin and yeah. <laughs> never pull it out of the bin again. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we haven't um covered that you want to go into today yeah so I guess um um you know talking with you earlier I've had a bit of a a big year um unfortunately I've had a couple of pregnancy losses um so it's been yeah pretty pretty emotional and physically taxing time for me um at the beginning of the year I started spotting this is in January about day 25 of my cycle which wasn't unusual for me I'd 
do tend to spot a few days before my period's due. Um, but then the spotting continued and my period never came. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know really what's going on here. So I booked a GP appointment and saw the GP and they're like, oh, not really sure. Like they gave me a referral to see um, my obstetrician gynecologist just to see what's going on. I kind of assumed in my head that it was, you know, like a hormonal thing, um, like a low progesterone or something because it wasn't unusual for me to start spotting quite early in my cycle. Um, but I had, hadn't done a pregnancy test. I don't know. I just was ignoring the fact that I probably would have been pregnant. Um, so it wasn't until I was, you know, five and a half weeks that I decided to do a pregnancy test, um, test before going to see my um, obstetrician gynecologist. And so I just happened to have a spare one at home and checked and was like, oh, I am pregnant. Anyway, that's interesting. So we're still spotting. So I was like, okay, that's weird. And then booked in to see um, my obstetrician on the Tuesday, which was the 25th, the day before Australia Day. Um, but I called her and said, oh, on the Monday I called her and said, oh, look, I actually did a pregnancy test and I'm pregnant. Um, and they're like, oh, okay, um, so we'll need a new referral because you've got, you know, a gynecology referral um, from your GP. We need an obstetric referral because you're pregnant now. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I just so happened um, one of my good friends is a, an emergency doctor. She lived around the corner at the time. And I was like, so can you write a referral for me for my obstetrician? And um, she's also an ultrasound specialist. So, and she's got a, like a portable ultrasound at her house. Um, so I went around and she wrote a referral for me and did a little ultrasound, but it was so super early. Um, so she couldn't really see anything because the ultrasound wasn't strong enough to, to see. Um, but um, ended up going to see my obstetrician the next day on the Tuesday. And she did a quick abdominal ultrasound and couldn't see anything. So did the transvaginal ultrasound and couldn't see um, a pregnancy sac. And oh, I should mention that on the Tuesday, about 15 minutes, maybe half an hour before my appointment with the obstetrician, I started getting pain which was mm, like cramping pain. So I thought, oh, maybe it's, you know, like an early miscarriage um, type situation. Um, but then the pain got worse and not like, like early labour or period pain. It was sharp pain kind of almost up into my rectum. Like the only way I can describe it is if, I was sitting on like a knitting needle, like in my bottom. Like I felt like I couldn't sit down normally. Like I had to lean forward on the chair. And I knew then, I was like, this is not normal, this pain. My obstetrician couldn't see a pregnancy. Um, and I was like, well, okay, it's a bit concerning. Um, still spotting at this point. And she said, uh, look, we'll do um, a blood beta HCG test um, to check your levels and then we'll do another one in two days and see what happens 
the next day was um, Australia Day public holiday and I still had the pain, still had the bleeding and I just knew something wasn't right. I was like, I'm five weeks and five days. You should be able to see a pregnancy and I don't know what this pain is. Um, and in my head, I'm like, I knew it was an ectopic at that point. Um, just in my intuition and, you know, the you know, my nursing background, I just, you know, put two and two together and was like, this, this is what it has to be. So went to King Edward Memorial um, Emergency and wanted to get another ultrasound. But because it was the public holiday um, and I was only spotting, um, they didn't want to call in the sonographer to come and do it or a doctor to come and do it. So they did um, another blood beta-HCG test then and basically sent me home and were like, I'll come back if it, you know, your bleeding starts getting worse or your pain starts getting worse, which is interesting because the pain had been getting better, which I'm not sure why. Um, yeah, it was weird. It kind of went almost. Um, and then on the Thursday, um, I went back to King Eddie's for an ultrasound. So they'd organised one for the next day and went in, had my ultrasound. They still couldn't see um, a pregnancy. And it was you know, a doctor and a sonographer using the ultrasound machine, but the doctor didn't really know how to use it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get any answers here, am I? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, great, you, you don't know what you're doing. Awesome. So I went away from that ultrasound not knowing anything else um, and not being able to find an ectopic pregnancy. And meanwhile, inside my head, I'm like, okay, well, they can't find an ectopic pregnancy. I'm like, where is it? Because um, typically, you know, um, most ectopic pregnancies are um, in the fallopian tubes um, and pretty easy to tend to be easy to find. Um, but they couldn't find anything. And I'm like, where is it? Because uh, it, it can be anywhere. It can be, you know, outside your uterus. It can be in your abdominal cavity, like, um, yeah. it's just super rare, but it happens. Um, so, yeah, I was starting to get really nervous, really nervous. My, I still had ongoing spotting. Um, and then the next day was Friday, and I went back in um, to King Eddie's in the morning to have another beta CG test um, to compare. So you have them every two days. And that should double every two days, roughly, in a normal pregnancy. I expected my beta HCG to go down. However, it hadn't. It had risen. And at that point, I got really nervous because I'm like, there's a pregnancy somewhere which is producing, you know, your pregnancy hormone and no one can find it. Oh. Yeah. So I called my obstetrician's office and my obstetrician wasn't working that day. Um, but I left a message with her receptionist and I said, tell my obstetrician that I've had this bit of HCG done on Tuesday or on Wednesday, sorry, and it today it is this. I've had another ultrasound. No one can find a pregnancy. 
please tell her to call me back as soon as possible. Anyway, it was a couple of hours later and the obstetrician called me back. It would have been about 3 p.m. And I said, you know, basically said, I'm scared. And she's like, do you want to come and see me on Monday? And I said to her, no, I want to see someone now. I'm scared. Because I'm um, sorry and, to interrupt you, Gaz. What happened? Yeah. What can what can happen? Like you're, you're like you're scared. Like can it mm. can what can happen that is, yeah. is life threatening? Yes, can be. Um, so if the ectopic pregnancy ruptures, um, there's obviously a lot of blood vessels uh, in your pelvic region. Um, if the ectopic ruptures, um, yeah, that you can have extensive bleeding. Um, and you know we all need to go and have emergency surgery to to find to find the ectopic and stem the bleeding and clean out yeah clean out your pelvic cavity mm. wow yeah so, and if yeah, they can't can. find it where, where yeah is it? exactly I know so I was really nervous um, and you know I've seen <clears throat> you know I've seen what happens in emergency when you know ectopics rupture and these women can get really really unwell really quickly. Um, so I was scared and I said to my obstetrician, I need to see someone today. And she's like, well, I'm not working today, but let me call around um, to some of my um, ultrasound friends because she was an ultrasound, she is an ultrasound specialist obstetrician. So she called around to some of her friends and then called me back about 15 minutes later and said, I've got you an appointment to go and see this doctor at her pri- in her private rooms in 15 minutes. yeah yeah and it was only about a 15 minute drive so I said great thanks hung up and went straight to to see this doctor in her private room um to have another ultrasound and I got there and um pushed in front of this line of people waiting (laughs) for an ultrasound (laughs) and immediately um the doctor doing the ultrasound did a transvaginal um scan and immediately she said oh I recognize this ovary and I looked at her and was like what do you mean you recognize this ovary and this doctor just so happens to be the head of ultrasound at King Eddie's um, or King Edward Memorial Hospital and had reported on my scan that they'd done the day before and she's like oh yeah this was really unusual um, and she's like, so what I can see here is two um, corpus luteum. So it looked like I had released two eggs um, that cycle. And she's like, but then there's also this third one that looks kind of like a corpus luteum, um, but I think it's actually the ectopic pregnancy. So her diagnosis was basically I have a primary ovarian ectopic pregnancy. So a pregnancy that's trying to grow on my ovary, which is like 3% of all ectopics. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So thank goodness it just so happened to be the same doctor that had reported on my scan the day before. Um, But what I found was really annoying was that no one had told me in the morning. Um, so I did speak to the doctor from King Eddie's who called with my blood results for my HCG levels and they didn't mention anything about my ultrasound report. Um, 
that they'd done the day before. So I assumed it was normal. Mm. Obviously, it wasn't. So <clears throat> that doctor basically wrote up um, our referral and sent me straight back to King Edward, King Edward Memorial Hospital um, to go and basically have it removed yeah. because, yeah, it hadn't ruptured, thankfully, but, um, you know, it was quite oozy, so I still had some blood kind of in my pelvis, but it was probably about 100 mils of blood, not too much, um, thankfully. So, yeah, that night I went into King Eddie's at about 5 p.m. and I was first on the theatre list in the morning to have it removed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so I had, yeah, had laparoscopic surgery. Um, so they did this three kind of incision points and used the camera to, to cut it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so hard. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, it was a whirlwind week, that's for sure. Um, not a lot of time for big emotions, just needed to get it done. Yeah. But it just goes to show you really need to just trust your intuition when you think someone something's wrong. Yeah. Um, because had I, I, I feel really fortunate to have had the knowledge and the background that I had because, you know, I knew to push when, like, push for another scan, push for, you know, another review um, because I had that knowledge behind me. But, yeah, a lot of people, you know, don't have that, that information and would just, you know, just continue on. And, yeah, if I guess, the, yeah, the issue with ectopics, if, if they do rupture, they have to do, um, more often than not, they have to do like a laparotomy, which is where you have one massive incision all the way down your abdomen. Oh. Um, yeah, so I managed to avoid that, thankfully. Yeah. How was your recovery? Uh, pretty good, actually. Um, the worst part was that um, with the laparoscopies, <clears throat> they fill your abdomen, uh, like your abdominal cavity with um, carbon dioxide to like bloat it up. Yeah. Oh. Um, so they can like have good visual um, around, yeah. And from that, you get this really bad shoulder tip pain um, just on your right shoulder, and that that was really painful. So that was the worst thing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the other thing was it was still really, really hot, and one of my incisions um, in my belly button didn't heal very well. So I had to... I ended up going to like a medical supply store and getting all the stuff that I needed to do my dressings, um, which, you know, obviously very fortunate that I can do it myself because, you know, having to go back into the GP every few days to get a nurse to do it would have been just annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, I just did them from home and, yeah, managed my, managed my wounds, um, yeah, that way. And it, they healed fine eventually but just took a bit longer for one of them yeah and were you still okay to like look after Ashani or did you have some help while all of that was happening yeah so thank goodness um my husband had been uh working offshore and had come home like, two days before I went in for surgery and then he had um a big chunk of leave um and time off work after he finished his um offshore campaign so thank goodness he was around to look after Ishani. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I had him. Yeah. Which, yeah, very, very thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm. and how are you feeling about it all now? Like, have you? It's all recovery is all okay. Like everything's back to normal, kind of thing. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, everything's back to normal. Um, I was a bit emotional, you know, for a couple of weeks, like just the the stress of everything. Um, I'm not much of a crier. I'll get you know really big emotions, but yeah, I think I was just the stress of it all happening so fast you know within a matter of a week I was you know having surgery and having an ectopic removed and I think just knowing what could have happened um had I not pushed Mm. to have you know more scans and have it diagnosed um yeah that the the unknown and the stress of it all was pretty pretty intense for a while but you know moved moved past that now so yeah yeah, that was. That was um, do you know if there's time. um if that's like is that just a random thing that can happen or is there anything they said that could have caused it or is it just random? Yeah, well, I think in my case I had no specific risk factors, so it was purely just by chance. Um, with um, other ectopics, it can be from you know scarring if you've you know had endometriosis or. Um, other you know pelvic surgeries in the past um those are kind of all risk factors but i have none of those so it was just something that just happened yeah not sure why yeah oh well thank you for sharing i feel like that's going to be really helpful if anyone has any of those symptoms and they're getting dismissed or like they're just not Mm -hmm. getting answers i feel like it's something to keep in the back of your your mind yeah 100 percent. like if you've got something you something in your intuition telling you that something's not right you you're probably spot on because yeah it happens often that you know you can just be your your concerns can be dismissed um but yeah you, you just know your body so much better than anyone else yeah so just trust your intuition for sure yeah was there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to go into today um yeah i guess i um, on top of my ectopic that I had earlier this year, um, sadly, I also had another miscarriage. Um, so after about a month, after, it was probably like the next cycle, mm. or the two cycles after my ectopic, um, found out I was pregnant again, which was very exciting. Um, and having that history of ectopic, um, I had to go in and get a really early scan to make sure it was not another ectopic um, because you're now I'm at a risk. Um, so I'm considered high risk until an ectopic is ruled out, basically. Uh, so I went in to have my early like dating scan, I guess, or early scan just to confirm the location of the pregnancy. And you know, everything was all good like it was you know an intrauterine pregnancy so in the you know where it's supposed to be inside your uterus which is great um the only thing is I think I went in at must have been about six weeks just over six weeks maybe six weeks and two days I think I would have been by my date um and it was only the pregnancy was only measuring five weeks and two days so a whole week behind and I kind of knew then that sparked kind of my anxiety again 
because I knew my dates and I knew when I'd ovulated. So I was like, oh, for it to be a whole week behind, I was a bit nervous about that. So what happened was they organised, um, I got my GP to organise another ultrasound to have, I think in, I had it in two weeks after. Um, and, you know, I started getting a bit of, you know, morning sickness, a bit of that nausea, like background nausea. So, you know, I knew my pregnancy hormones must have been increasing because I was, you know, having those symptoms, which is, uh, you know, all good signs, right? Um, but I think it was the day of the ultrasound, the morning I started spotting or the day before a little bit. And I was like, mm, okay, here we go. Like spotting, um, the pregnancy was already measuring kind of a week behind where I, I thought it should have been. Um, so went in to have my ultrasound and um, the pregnancy was measuring, you know, seven weeks and two days or whatever it was. So I still just, you know, it was progressing um, according to the dates that they that they'd suggested. Um, so measuring a whole week behind. And had a strong, you know, healthy heartbeat, which was, you know, pretty exciting. Um, and then the spotting, they saw um, like a subchorionic hematoma, uh, which I don't know what really causes that, if there's, you know, a reason why they happen, but it's basically just a bit of bleeding um, within a uterine wall, I think. Um, not in my area of expertise, but yeah, like a bit of a blood clot um, around, yeah, in your uterus, which is where the, um, where the spotting was coming from. Um, the only thing with the subchorionic hematomas is if they're quite big, um, they can obviously cause miscarriage. But mine at the time was, you know, relatively small and looked like it would probably go away on its own. Um, so I think it was like the day after my ultrasound I got COVID and was really really sick with COVID uh for about you know three or four days I had you know fevers up and down was in bed um and the spotting kind of got worse and I just knew then that it's probably not going to be a viable pregnancy um, so I couldn't go and see my obstetrician at that point because I had COVID. So I had to, you know, wait until I was past my, you know, isolation period. And um, as soon as I was uh, able to, I managed to get in to see my obstetrician with a cancellation appointment to go and have a, um, like a viability scan. And... Yeah, unfortunately, um, it looked like the pregnancy had stopped growing from about eight weeks, mm. which would have been, you know, around the time when I was really sick with COVID. So I don't know whether it's just a coincidence or, you know, whether it was never going to be a viable pregnancy, but, you know, it always makes me think, like, is it because I was so sick with COVID that the pregnancy wasn't able to continue? Um, not that I'll ever know, but, you know, just something to think about. Um, so my options were, um, my obstetrician gave me my options. 
I could wait um, for the pregnancy to kind of pass on its own naturally or I could go in and have um, a DNC to have it, you know, surgically removed or I could try the um, medical termination, um, which is where you have two uh, tablets or you have some tablets to one stop, like turn off your progesterone receptors so that your body knows that's not pregnant anymore. And then like two days later or 36 to 48 hours later, you have another tablet, which basically expels all the products of conception or the pregnancy basically. And because I just had like two weeks off being so sick with COVID, I didn't really want to have any more time off work. So didn't want to book in to have the surgical termination or like surgical procedure to have the pregnancy removed. Um, And it was like a Friday. So I thought, you know, if I have the tablet, um, I can probably just get it all done with over the weekend and then just go straight back to work. Um, so that's what I decided to do. I didn't obviously want to be caught at work and then have a miscarriage at work, you know. So that night we went to the pharmacy and got the medications. It's um, like a two-step process. So I think the first day you take the mifepristone, um, which basically yeah, turns off your um, progesterone receptors so then your body knows that's not pregnant anymore. And then on the Sunday morning, I took the misoprostol and then it takes about three hours for that to work. And then at the, basically at three hours on the dot, I started getting the cramps, um, like early labour, you know, pretty strong period cramps. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like how long is this? <laughs> I had to start like doing my calm breath again <laughs> because I didn't know how long it was going to go on. So I'm like, oh, you know, going to take all afternoon. Like this is pretty intense. Um, but honestly, I just felt like I had to go to the toilet straight away. And like I sat on the toilet a couple of times within about a 15, 30 minute period. And, you know, just sitting on the toilet and you kind of just felt, you know, that pregnancy come out. Um, yeah. And I'd actually never seen um, a miscarriage before or like, an eight-week-old little mm. tiny fetus, and yeah, it's pretty pretty confronting. Um, so, did you um, so yeah, like you did you want to see it? Like, did you like have a look or how? Yeah, I did. I I caught it like with oh. a pad. I just like chucked a pad there. How big was and it? And caught it. Um, like so, there was the yolk sac, which is just around. It was probably like the size of an egg. Okay. And oh. then the the tiny little fetus was probably about the size of a twenty cent piece. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but I could see it. You know, you could see the little black eyes, oh. the little hand buds. Oh my yeah. god! And I, I called to my husband. I was like, um, "Do you want to have a look?" Oh. And he's like, "Uh, okay." So he came and had a look and was like, "Wow, that's amazing." Um. Obviously, yeah, super sad and mm. like I had a little cry and he's like, why don't we bury it in the backyard and give it a send-off? Mm. So, so we did that. 
<laughs> and put it in our put it in our veggie patch. <laughs> well, yeah, that's so sad. I I had no idea how like the size and stuff like. Oh. Yeah, well, that was about an eight week old. Um, yeah, yeah, eight week old embryo. Um, yeah, I've I've never actually seen one, and that was my first time seeing it, and I was like, wow, this is pretty incredible. Mm. Um, so that all happened on the Sunday. Basically, went back to work and. I had an appointment to follow up with my obstetrician a week later and was it a week later? No, I had to go in pretty much straight away because um, my blood type is A negative and I have to have anti-D injections in case um, the the pregnancy was like a positive blood type. Mm-hmm. Um so I, even through Ishani's pregnancy, I had to have the um, anti-D injections and after the birth and stuff. So I had to go into that. And then at that point, she did a quick scan and she could still see some um, products of conception or um, some pregnancy was still inside my uterus. And she said, oh, okay, so you've got some other options. Um, we could go in and do a DNC or we can try the medication again um, or you can just wait until your next period and see if the it all comes out with that. And, you know, I didn't want to go and have, you know, another surgery. Um, I didn't want to do the medication again. And I thought, you know, my period's due in a couple of weeks. So why don't we just wait and see um, if it comes out with all that um, when I get my next period. So that's what I decided to do. Um, but it meant that, you know, I just had to wait. Um, and it was still just constantly in the back of my mind, like I've still got, you know, some some stuff in there that needs to come out. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, I got my next period and, yeah, some, some additional tissue came out, um, which was not like my usual period. So I assume that's what it was. Um, and... Then two weeks after that, I had to go in for another ultrasound to make sure it had passed, which at that point, um, yeah, it did. Yeah, that was, it was all finished then. But it was, you know, a whole month after my, um, my miscarriage, basically, I had to wait before I got the all, all clear that everything had passed. So it was a long time and, you know, kind of just played on my mind a lot and, you know, you just want to move forward, but yeah, it's not something that was you know finished, so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so amazing. that was um, yeah, it was a yeah, pretty pretty sad time. Mm. Um, yeah, going through that straight after having the ectopic, I felt like my body went through quite a lot. You know, yeah, yeah so much happens in those first that first trimester of pregnancy. You know, you get the, the hormonal changes and yeah your body physically just gives so much to that pregnancy that you know I felt pretty depleted mm. yeah yeah and to go through it for that long as well like eight nine weeks is such a long time to you, you just as soon as you get the positive you're just like excited and to have to go through yeah. that and then to yeah to grieve yeah, and your, stuff. Mm. your brain automatically goes through and starts thinking about baby names and you know, within a matter of minutes, you're imagining like two kids like playing together and 
yeah, then you have to go and, and grieve all those thoughts. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, you've been through so much this year and, yeah, thank you for sharing. I feel like miscarriage isn't talked about enough and I think that, yeah, you've gone into so much depth and detail that I think it would be really helpful. Mm, sorry if it's too much information, but you know, <sighs> my nursing brain just goes through to, it takes over sometimes. <laughs> Well, thank yeah. you for coming on today, Gabs. This has been so great. I feel like we've covered so many things and I think this chat is going to be very helpful to people. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Ames. It's been super fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If anyone came to mind while you were listening to this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could share it on and help spread the love. Um, and if you have a spare moment, I'd be so grateful if you could leave me a review on Apple iTunes. Thank you.